This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. After a, a very busy weekend, we'll get to your emails. And remember, when you want to send us an email, send it to Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, for all of your uh, wagering needs, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey. Play Sugar House in Connecticut. Um, <clears throat> let's clean up a couple of things from the weekend. Number one, the Derby. Derby winner, Mage, came out of the race very well. He is headed to the Preakness, as expected. Uh, not a lot of the Derby horses have committed to the Preakness, which has become pretty much the standard in recent years. You're going to get a whole bunch of new shooters, and you get some horses that have been aimed towards the Preakness, including Bob Baffett's National. He might send two, but his horse, National Treasure, uh, is the buzz horse, I can tell you already, uh, for the Preakness. He has been even before the Derby was run. Baffett's been talking about winning the Preakness with National Treasure. Um Cox has a new one that he's sending that won the Lexington. Uh, you're going to get three or four uh, new ones that have been on the sideline or have just run a race well recently. So Mage is going to and might see Forte, might see Forte. They're hopeful he'll be ready for the Preakness. Um, Tappet Trice is going to go get ready for the Belmont, where he will be a very big factor in the Belmont. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and some of the others, I don't know where they're headed, but nobody is automatically going. It sounds like this arm's going to the Preakness. sounds like uh, a couple others might, but the big thing is Mage is on his way, and he'll be facing a whole new bunch of competition there in Baltimore in less than two weeks. Okay, number two. The Knicks have a very big game tonight, game four, after an awful performance in game three in Miami. Game four tonight, game five back in the Garden on Wednesday night. So a big, big couple of days coming up uh, for the Knicks. If they want to, hey, if they want to win this series, they're going to win these next two games. That's basically the bottom line. They need to win this one. They need to win the next one. So uh, the Knicks are going to go on a two-game winning streak here, or they're going to be in a whole, whole lot of trouble. Quickly is very doubtful for tonight. That should move Obi Toppin into a much more prominent role. And you know what? I would have done that anyway because they need what Obi Toppin can provide on his best day. An offensive scorer, a guy who can go to the basket, a guy who can make a three, and they need him to go out and have a good game offensively. That's the bottom line. The Knicks need to find somebody who can drain a three. They can't have their three big scorers go two for 17 from three again. If they do, they're going to get run out of Miami again tonight. Uh, So, and they haven't even had to face the A-game Jimmy Butler yet in the series. And that's going to happen in one of these games in the fourth quarter where they're going to say, all right, Jimmy, your turn. And Jimmy's going to go out there and get 22 in the fourth quarter. So uh, this has now become a very, very tall order for the Knicks. They've already had a good season. They've already had a season to build on. There's no question about that. 
But you'd still like to see them find a way to squeeze through this series. Uh, they got a lot of work to do. Now let's get to the baseball situation. Second week in May in this town, and it is bad, okay? I have never been a big Cole supporter. You know that if you listen to me. And la- yesterday was exactly why. I can't knock the fact that most days he goes out and is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He'll strike out his 10. He'll give you a shutout and be unhittable on many occasions. He hadn't lost a game this year. Of course not. He hadn't given up a home run this year until he had a 6 nothing lead in what was the biggest game they've played so far this year. The Yankees were coming off their biggest win of the year. They came back from 2 nothing down in the eighth inning to score three runs and win 3-2. They had a chance to sweep the series. They're up 6 nothing with their star pitcher on the mound. And what does he do? He completely falls apart. That's what I don't like about Cole. In a nutshell, that's what I don't like about him. They needed him yesterday. That's his job yesterday. That's when he puts a stamp on it, goes eight innings, okay, and leaves with a six or a seven or an eight-run lead. Not gets pounded out of the building giving up two in the fifth and getting bombed in the sixth. That was a brutal loss for the Yankees yesterday. They had a chance coming off that game Saturday where they were going to go 11 out. Now they lost two out of three. All right, they get the A's at home for a couple of days. There's no way the Yankees should ever lose a game to the A's. The A's have no hitting, no pitching, and no middle relief. They are, I think, 8-26. and 26. The Yankees should win all the games. Fine. Get a cushion going, and then they have a weekend series with Tampa again. But they could have been riding high by the time Tampa came back in next Friday. If they had won that game yesterday, they would have won the series against Tampa, which would have been big for them right now. Getting Beta back, hopefully getting Judge back tonight. The bottom line is it was a huge game, and they lost it. It's on cold shoulders, and that's what drives me crazy about Cole. And right now, the Yankees and the Mets, hey, let's be honest, with their payrolls, they're dreadful. They're a combined 35 and 35. The Yankees are 18 and 17. The Mets are 17 and 18. And the Mets have broken down everywhere. They're getting terrible starting pitching. They're getting no offense. Add that up, and, they, you know, you can't beat the Rockies. They are a team that is dreadful right now they don't even they look awful they don't even look decent they do not look like a team that has a payroll where theirs is or anything close they have not gotten a listen i thought they for what they spent they did not improve the team but they're not even in the same league as they were last year they have got to get verlander going they have got to get scherzer going it has to happen they built this team around those two guys and they have got to get some strength in the lineup put the kid at third base leave him alone let him play every day all right fine that's number one they have to go out and get another bat they will do that okay but they will i'm saying do it earlier rather than later it's a little early it's another month away most likely before you can even jettison one away. But the bottom line is they need, they need severe help. Nothing looks good on that team right now. They lost their clothes that we understand that was a freakish thing. But they don't have any starting pitching right now. And they don't have any offense right now. 
They have no length in. Both teams have no length in their lineups. And that was the thing that the Yankees had for year after year after year after year after year. They had great length in their lineup. The Yankees in their halcyon days of the 90s had guys batting ninth who had 95 RBIs. You couldn't get 95 RBIs out of the six, seven, eight, nine hitters for the Yankees. They are a mess. But the Mets are even a bigger mess. Does it mean that it's over? Of course not. We're just getting started. But they have dug themselves some holes. That is without saying. They have completely dug themselves some holes. And we are no longer, you know, five or ten days. We are now just about a quarter of the season done. And the Yankees are ten games out of first place. And the Mets are seven games out of first place. And they have a losing record. That's ugly. Your emails when we come back. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, as we said, emails at Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Ian's thoughts. Uh, can you blow a gasket? I just did about how the Mets have thus far and specifically over the last two weeks. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, especially the rotation, which is putrid right now. No question. They can't get anybody to go five innings. So you're absolutely right. Um, Verlander has to lead him out of this. I like some of the things I saw from Verlander's thought. I wouldn't be surprised if he put a little run together. They need him to put a run together. And, but I am, and they are, extremely concerned about Scherzer. You know, there comes a point where guys lose their stuff, and we might be seeing it with Scherzer. I mean, he is getting hit. He is getting pounded. And, you know, when he's got a doctor to baseball, it's not a good sign. They have real serious issues. They're going to have to do some, you know, they have, a, they have a bottomless pit of money, okay? They can stop the silly stuff about putting a roof on because, you know, that roof would probably cost them a billion dollars. But they can put all the money they want into the baseball team. That's cheap compared to putting a roof on City Field. The reason they put a roof on City Field was two reasons, folks. Number one, it would have cost about $350 million more. Number two, they didn't want them to build a roof, a retractable roof on the building, and then not have a multifunctional stadium, which means that it seated enough people for the Final Four, seated enough people for a Super Bowl. That takes away all the charm of your building. It's no longer a ballpark. It's no longer a baseball ballpark. It becomes a multi-use stadium, and they didn't want that. Next call, uh, emailer is the same thing. How bad is New York baseball? Almost a half billion dollars, and they stink. Hey, you're right. There's nothing, nothing. The thing that got me was I didn't think either team actually helped themselves in the offseason. And I think they were fooling themselves. Keep bringing the same players back into the mix. The Yankees integrate these young kids and act like every one of them is going to be a star. And Volpe might be really good in a couple of years. I mean, listen, I'm all for leaving Volpe alone. Leave him batting lead off for a while. 
if the walks decrease and the on-base percentage goes way down, then you're going to have to drop them in the lineup. But let them play every day. I have no problem with that. But, you know, the other kids that they keep integrating, none of them are any good. Yankees overvalue all their kids. All their kids in spring training are going to be stars, and then none of them ever become stars. I mean, that's all they do is talk them up. Now, they do have live arms in the bullpen. There's no question about that, but they don't have a closer. The Yankees are now a quicker fix than the Mets are because the biggest thing for the Yankees right now is to get Judge back. Having Bader and Judge together will be with Rizzo will be very good. I think they're going to trade Torres off for a pitcher. I think that's going to happen. I mean, the, the trade's been rumored for a month, so let's see if it happens. Okay. And then they can start to integrate their team into a set lineup and have some length in that lineup. Brendan in Denver, is it possible to make the argument that Secretariat, and this was the 50th anniversary of Secretariat, is the greatest athlete of the 20th century? I don't get it. Listen, I do not. I have great love and affection for the racing game. I love horses. I love thoroughbred racing. It is a great sport, and it is a sport, but there is no way to combine, to compare humans and racehorses. So I don't ever try. So to me, Secretariat should never be talked about. I know they did the thing the other day with Tom Brady voicing that the real goat is Secretariat, although he's one of the goats to his own admission. Uh, Secretariat's the goat. Hey, Secretariat doesn't get measured with, you know, Tom Brady or Babe Ruth or Wayne Gretzky or... Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas or whoever you want to talk about, Michael Jordan. It doesn't make any sense. But here's what I will tell you. Secretariat is the greatest horse to ever look through a bridle. He wasn't undefeated. Horses have bad days. He lost the Wood Memorial. He had an abscess in his mouth. Lucky they found it. The bottom line... Though on his big day and on his best day, he was the best horse of all time. Track record in the Derby, track record in the Preakness, world record in the Belmont. The greatest horse of all time. I don't think there's any question about that. Okay, Carlos, I'm a longtime Knicks fan living in Miami. I feel like the Knicks are missing a veteran presence, which Miami has been getting uh, from Lowry and Love. That's true. I told you Lowry and Love were going to be a big problem. But Lowry and Love haven't been the biggest problems. Love's been a problem with his long passes. Lowry's had two good games and one bad game. But what's hurting, what's hurting the Knicks with Miami is where Cleveland brought nothing in terms of coaching and toughness, Miami brings truckloads. In coaching with Spolster, who's one of the great coaches in NBA history. That's how good Spolster is. He will be regarded as that when he finally hangs it up. And they have toughness throughout the lineup because that's what Riley demands. He's always demanded that. He wants tough guys because he was a tough guy. And he wants tough guys. And those guys don't blink. 
And when you have a Jimmy Butler leading the way, they don't blink. But they get it from a lot of places. You know, Adebayo plays well every night. Struss has been a pain in the neck. Vincent had a bad game in game three. They didn't need him, but he was a pain in the neck in games one and two. They have guys off the street who are a pain in the neck. And they, what they can do is they can drop the three a lot better than the Knicks can. And they got more guys who can do it. But, yes, they also have a veteran edginess and a toughness. They also have Spolstra on the bench, and he's the best. Andrew, is Patrick Ewing the most underappreciated athlete in New York City history? Um, I've never thought about that. That takes in a lot of athletes, you know. You got to go back and deal with the Brooklyn Dodgers. You got to go back and deal with the New York Giants in baseball. You got to deal with the football Giants. You got to deal with the uh, Yankees and Mets and Knicks. And it takes in, a, you know, and if you want to take the hockey into it, it takes in a lot of players. I don't, I would say, you know, Ewing was so celebrated at the beginning. And people were so disappointed because they thought he was going to be this dominant force at both ends of the floor, which he didn't become, but he became a wonderfully consistent player and had a great career. He didn't win any championships. He got to the finals twice. He didn't win any championships. He would be looked at differently if he had given them a championship. We asked that of our athletes in this town. What makes Mickey Mantle Mickey Mantle is obviously his prodigious talents, how fast he could run, how far he could hit the ball, how handsome he was, and he was a Yankee center fielder. But also, he played in the World Series in 12 of his first 14 years in baseball. He won every year. That's what made him Mickey Mantle. We like winners. Uh, I don't know if overall Ewing is underappreciated. I really don't know if that's fair. I, 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 and, and the most, I would never say that. I'd have to really give that some thought because it takes in a lot of real estate. Uh, Justin, I'm just wondering what you think about Rogers' impact on developing Wilson. It seems like he's now an afterthought. You think Rogers plays a role in helping him? No, I don't. I don't, I, I don't think Rogers was brought here to teach Wilson anything, anything he's going to pick up, he's going to have to pick up on his own. I'm not saying that Rogers won't sometimes lend him some of his expertise. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know what they're going to do in the, in the many hours they spend in the quarterback room. I don't know. But what I would do if I'm Wilson is I would soak up everything I see and hear from Rogers. Everything because Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever stepped on an NFL field. And from that, Wilson can learn. This is a tough time for Wilson. It's a tough time being Wilson. He is going to have to suck it up, practice, practice, 
practice. Hustle, learn, and all that time just keep his mouth shut. He has been handed a very, very tough road to travel. Maybe he comes out the other side. Maybe he doesn't. If he does, it'll be a hell of a story. But he's going to be asked. But he earned what he, he earned the place he's got now. He was that bad. So he has got to put in the time, learn his craft, work on his footwork, learn how to quarterback. He's going to get a chance to watch and see how one of the greatest quarterbacks in history, how he prepares, how he prepares in the coaching room, how he prepares in the, with the coordinators, how he prepares with the quarterback coach, how he prepares in the quarterback room, how he prepares on a practice field, how he works the game. He can watch every step of that. And I'm sure if he has a question for Rogers, Rogers will answer, answer it. I doubt Rodgers is going to tune him out because here's the thing. Rodgers doesn't see him as a threat. Rodgers might even feel sorry for him. So I'm sure Rodgers isn't going to give him a cold shoulder, which can happen in these situations when these guys are thrown on the other quarterback. That wasn't, that didn't happen here. Wilson was here first. He has failed terribly. That's why Rodgers is here. Rodgers might have pity. He might even like the kid. Who knows? But there's a lot Wilson can learn. But Wilson also has to find some guys who are going to catch his passes because he should throw a whole bunch of them every day. Tom Brady became Tom Brady because when he came to the Patriots, he was an undersized, skinny, Terrible-bodied quarterback who was drafted late in the draft who basically decided he was going to learn how to do this and was going to push and push and through 9 million practice passes was in that bubble throwing and throwing and throwing late into the evening to anybody he could find. And you know what? That's how Steve Young became a great quarterback. That's how Tom Brady became a great quarterback. That's how Wilson will have to become a quarterback again. He's going to have to put in the work when no one's around and where he gets no credit for it. And he's going to have to have that hunger because if he doesn't, he's going to be gone. He's going to be out of the league because nobody right now thinks he can play. But that doesn't mean he can't. There's a million quarterbacks who had a second story and had a second career. Some of them are in the Hall of Fame now. So it can be done. But nobody ever said it was easy. Uh, You have mentioned Mark DeRosa as having great potential for an MMLB team. Absolutely. He is the perfect guy to be a manager. He's got the right temperament. He was a solid player. He understands players. He gets along with everybody. He's a leader. Could someone like that be a good fit for the Yankees? 
He could be a good fit for any team, but I'm not saying the Yankees are looking to get a manager. I don't think Aaron Boone's the problem right now by any stretch of the imagination. I think this team was put together badly. They've also had a lot of guys hurt. They bought some pitches that didn't work out uh, or haven't worked out yet, and they have not improved the team. This is more on the front office than it's on the, the manager. Uh, I know you don't like to take credit or brag, but uh, do you ever stop and think about all the innovations that you and Dog have created? Uh, not only were you the guys, uh, the first sports talk shows on the radio, we were not, but were you also the first to be televised? Now sports debate TV shows are everywhere from morning uh, to night. Listen, give the biggest credit to those TV shows to Kornheiser and Wilbon. Now, Kornheiser will tell you that they stole a lot of their stuff from Mike and the Mayor. Look, that's fine. They admit that. And they put it on TV. Okay? And ESPN was smart enough to put it on TV. And, and you know what? There were networks that wanted to put Dog and I on TV from the beginning. But they wanted shows like Fox wanted us in the worst way. They offered us, uh, before there was that best damn sports show thing, they wanted us. But they wanted us five days a week after our show was over. And we're doing five and a half hours. And they want us to do another show at night, every night. Now, they didn't want two nights a week, which we offered. They wanted five nights a week. And we were like, we can't do five nights a week every night, be out, you know, till 11 o'clock after we worked all day. We're going to burn out. And we couldn't make an agreement with them. So they went elsewhere. So I think, listen, I think Dog and I have been given plenty of credit for our place and what we advanced in sports. I mean, they did a 30-30 about us, okay? That's, that, that goes down in the annals of sports. That's part of sports history. They made us part of sports history. Uh, that's a great honor. We're both in multiple Hall of Fames. So, I mean, we've been treated very fairly, and we've been treated wonderfully when it comes to that stuff. I think from that standpoint, we have been treated really incredibly well. So I have no issues, really. I thought it was going to be about the fact that I picked a you know, mage. I, w- I was happy with that pick. I really was. Because you know what? I went with this horse. And remember, I went with a horse that didn't run as a two-year-old, which I always thought was something that had to happen. And only had three races, which bothers me a lot of times, too. But I was so impressed when I kept going back and looking at his Florida Derby when he got beat after having the nightmare trip and making it a humongous move. Humongous move. Uh, that I just kept getting back to him. But let's be honest. Give a lot of this to Javier Castellano because if you look, this horse had gotten in trouble in two of his three races. Both the stakes races, the Fountain of Youth and the Florida Derby, he had gotten in trouble. About to get in trouble four steps out of the gate. If you watch the race, and I was watching Maze as he broke because that was the horse I had bet on. Uh, he was the key to all my bets. Um, he comes out of the gate. He is about to jump into a mess. I mean a complete mess where he is going to get knocked this way and that way, upside down. Instead, Javier took him back and to the rail. 
So he actually lost positioning and dropped him all the way back to where he was either either second to last or either three from the back or two from the back, depending exactly where the positioning was at that time. But he was all the way on the inside. It allowed him to settle in, get his stride. He then had some open area in front of him, so he ranged up. And then when Angel of Empire moved, he moved with him. Now I see him. He is about in the three path. Now he kicks to the five path. And when he starts to make his move, he kicks to the seven path. Now he's got clearance. He's got a fast pace in front of him, which was wonderful, 22 and 45. So you know they're cooking. Those horses are not going to be there at the finish at a mile and a quarter. No chance. So now he's got clearance. He's kicked it. Now he is about three-eighths out, which is where you want to begin if you're a dead closer, your big run. So now he has kicked it from the three path, from the rail to the three path, to the five path, now to the seven path. Now he is starting to pick up horses. And now as they turn for home into that long straightaway at Churchill Downs, you see him, he's about eight wide, but he is coming and he has clearance. So Javier has now said, okay, son, I did this. Now you do the rest. And he came and let's be honest, two Phils who I did not like because the only race that I thought was up to a derby level was his synthetic race. And two Phils had sat behind the speed in perfect position and now had opened up on the field. Had opened up about two lengths on the field. And, you know, two Phils did not fall apart because if he did, it would have been 8 14 which would have been great for me, but I'm not complaining because I had a good win bet on the mage. But the bottom line is 8-14 would have been unbelievable for me. I did not have the three in a, in a lot of bets because I didn't use the three at all. I used them on one ticket behind the eight in an exact. That was it. I didn't use them in any tickets, no triples, no supers, nothing. So that three did not back up. He only got beat a length. Now, the tough thing was Angel of Empire was past the three, one jump past the wire. He was completely past them. So he was coming fastest of all. He was actually gaining on Mage, but I think Mage had more. Mage had cleared, and he was in front, and he was fine. So this wasn't about Mage. This was about the three and the 14. Uh, the three, two fills, ran a very, very good race. Now, I think he's probably a turf horse because his big race was in, on a synthetic, which is much more conducive to a turf horse than it is a dirt horse. But he ran a hell of a derby. He really did. And Angel of Empire ran a solid derby. Not a great derby, but a solid derby. And you're going to see Angel of Empire. He's going to be one of the big contenders, I think, the rest of the year in the three-year-old division. I think he's going to be a major player. Um, he's very consistent, I think, animal. Um, he was coming fastest, probably of all. Nobody behind that had a terrible trip and was full of run at the end. There wasn't much running forward at the end of that race, except 
Mage and Angel of Empire. There was not really anybody. Disarm was coming forward, but not at any great speed. He finished fourth. There was not anything really flying or anything that got cut off or anything that you need to highlight that, you know, if he had gotten clearance would have won the race. No, no, there was none of that. There was no, nobody really flying. The big closer was Mage. The other one was Angel of Empire. That was it. And Mage followed him and then tipped outside him, and there he went. So, uh, you know, they've thrown out now the book. It used to be you had to run as a two-year-old to win the Derby. No more. You had to have X number of races. Mage had three races. Won a, won a maiden race. Ran in the Fountain of Youth, the same race that High Oak got hurt in. Finished fourth. Got in trouble in that race. Then had the troubled second to the horse that would have been the favorite, Forte, in the Florida Derby. So I was watching the Florida Derby for Forte. I was not watching for Mage. I didn't know who Mage was, but I knew who Mage was when that race was over. And I kept telling the guys I talked to about racing a lot, Brad Thomas, my partner, Leon Seidler, who owns the horses with me, the, the Casamigos Tequila guy. And he and I are partners on all the horses. And, you know, I said, look at this race. Look at it from Mage's perspective, this horse. Because Saez is our jock anyway. Saez got off Mage to ride Tappet Rice. And I even asked the connections why, and they said he had better sheet numbers. But I thought Mage was the better horse. Now, next time they'll be right and I'm wrong. I understand that. But the bottom line is this time I was right um, about the horse. And I thought, let's be honest, Mage got a fast pace and he got a great ride. And that's what it takes to win a derby. Fast pace. Great ride. That's how derbies are won. Now, do I think Mage is a triple crown horse? Probably not. I'm not saying he's going to win the Preakness. Maybe he will. You know, I hope he does, but I, I don't know if he will. I always root for the horse to win the Preakness so that we have drama in the Belmont. I think he'll run a good race in the, in, in the Preakness. But like you know, there's a whole bunch of new shooters. Baffert's going to bring his horses in. They're always very formidable. And uh, from that standpoint, you know, it was, it was an interesting derby, and it was a very – see, I didn't think it was going to be that fast a pace. I really didn't. And it turned out to be much faster than I thought it would be. I was very surprised how, how, how quick they went. We'll be with you after the Nick game. We'll do something on them. Hopefully they find a way to win this game tonight. Hey, they have got to make some threes. It's not any more complicated than that. They're going to have to keep Jimmy Butler under control when the game is on the line. That's not going to be easy. They uh, have not had that game yet where Butler's going to attack it in the fourth quarter. When he does, he's just freakish. And they're going to have to make some threes. Case closed. They're going to shoot him. You know that. They got to drop. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week. 
on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.